2: I remember when we were there the first time. We actually looked up on the internet what would happen if you got bit by a Gila monster. and They had several suggestions, and the first one I like this one: first, try to pry its mouth open with a stick or other object.
1: Okay, so it's a two foot long lizard. Yeah. It, okay, it's so stuck let's say it's stuck to my leg, and yeah. you're going to get a stick Wait, in there. Just
2: hold on. Let me find a stick. <laughs> while, you're, while you're running around screaming with, with a two-foot lizard stuck to your leg. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith.
1: And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books, this is our monthly mailbag episode where we answer questions about the national parks, road trips, camping, backpacking, gear, traveling with kids, relationships, and pretty much whatever anyone wants to ask us.
2: Today we'll be talking about where to hike in Saguaro National Park and the surrounding area, how to determine if you're ready to tackle a 10 to 15 mile hike, and how to practice shooting bear spray before you hike in bear country. Grizzly or black bear, that is. Not like koala bear. You shouldn't (laughs) spray them. (laughs) Plus, we'll offer suggestions regarding a listener's Utah park itinerary.
1: All this and more coming up next.
2: Usually, mailbag is the last Thursday of the month. But the last Thursday in March, we won't have an episode coming out because we'll be on spring break.
1: It's kind of like we're back in college again. What are we doing on
2: spring spring break? break.
1: We're just (laughs) just going
2: to sit around and look (laughs) at each other for spring break?
1: Well, we're not going to Fort Lauderdale to drink and and lay on the beach like we did back in college.
2: Back in the day now. Mm -hmm. But we do have some upcoming travel in early April. We're going to Disneyland with our family.
1: The happiest place on earth. The
2: happiest place (laughs) on earth. You know, we should do a an episode on Disneyland if you look at the list of podcasts in the, the travel category, nine of the top 20 are about Disney
1: I can't even believe that We're missing the boat I know why are we talking about national parks We should be talking about <laughs> Disney. Disneyland, We're, Disney World Mickey Mouse <laughs> Disney.
2: How to get it how to get five percent off uh, entry into Disneyland <laughs> Disney World all things Disney.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. We could call it uh, Dear Bob and Sue Do Disney. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to talk about my favorite ride. It's a small, small world.
2: <laughs> oh, the, the small, small world. I like the first couple minutes of that ride. <laughs> And then it kind of turns on you, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> no, I love it. I want to write it over and over well, again. They just
2: repeat the same song <laughs> over and over until I keep looking for like the little sidewalk that's next to the, the car you're in that like if you have a panic attack and you want to <laughs> jump out and run out of the building, I'm looking for that, <laughs> but that, that would be bad.
1: Well, no, you can't be jumping out of the little tiny boat and trying to escape. It's a
2: boat. We're in the... is that what they yeah, are? We're floating.
1: You're, yeah, you're. Flo- Don't you remember we've done it a thousand times? I'm you're in confu- the little boat floating. I'm
2: confusing it with the one with the ghosts. You know, in the car that that spins around, and then there's ghosts, and oh, I'm, yeah. I'm getting it also confused with the log ride. It, they're they're all the same. <laughs> or Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. That one. <laughs> I'm not doing that one again. Yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I'm also looking forward to the twenty dollars beers and the fifty dollars nachos.
2: <laughs> I like the uh, Mickey Mouse shaped ice cream bars that cost seventeen dollars. That the kids take one bite and then they drop it on the sidewalk. Yeah, I should yeah. just throw a twenty dollar bill on the sidewalk and just like you know smash it in the ground and then let it blow away in the wind. <laughs> that. <laughs> that that would be easier. I
1: uh-huh, think. Uh-huh. But you know what? It's going to be really It'll fun. be fun. No,
2: no, I'm looking forward to it. All right. We're going to keep it going. Karen, what is our first question of the day?
1: Okay. This question comes from Emily in Buffalo Grove, Illinois. And by the way, wouldn't that be a cool town to live in, Buffalo Grove?
2: Any town with buffalo or bison in it. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when we were in North Dakota, there's a town of Buffalo and Bison that are not too far from each other? Yeah, I know. Why why don't we look there? Let's move there.
1: Sorry, her question is, we are heading down to Tucson to visit Saguaro National Park in April for spring break, and I was wondering if you could recommend some of your favorite hiking trails. Yes, we can, Emily. We,
2: We can, but Karen, before we do that, let's explain to people exactly what is a Saguaro?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people probably haven't been there. So the saguaro is a giant cactus, um, and it has what I refer to as arms. Uh, They're probably technically called branches, but they look like arms.
2: Yeah, if anyone who lives in the western part of the country and goes to taco time, (laughs) their, their mascot, Ned, Ned's a saguaro.
1: Yes, Ned yeah. is a Saguaro.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so the giant Saguaro is the universal symbol of the American West. Saguaro National Park was created to protect these Saguaros. Back in 1933, President Herbert Hoover signed a proclamation establishing Saguaro National Monument. And then in 1994, the park was granted national park status. <laughs>
2: Way to sneak History Channel into the mailbag! I am just waiting for the cease and desist letter. They're gonna, they're gonna make us stop. Okay.
1: I did not call it History Channel. You did. It was just a little, no. little fun fact about when it was created and no, no. why. More importantly, why it was created. So I jotted down a few things. The saguaro is the largest cactus in the United States, and it can only be found in the Sonoran Desert.
2: A saguaro starts to flower around 35 years, and it produces its first arms around 50 years of age. I know. Wow, these things are really old. At 125 years, a saguaro is generally considered an adult. Maybe that's maybe that's what I need, is to hit 125 years before I'm considered an adult. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's pretty we'll move on. The lifespan of a saguaro is 150 to 200 years. Wow. Yes, Older than I thought.
1: And they are protected in Arizona. On federal land, such as the National Park, it's illegal to remove any plant, including saguaros. And as for state, tribal, or private land, removal or destruction of Sahuaros in Arizona is illegal without the landowner's permission and a permit.
2: In the park, they do a census every 10 years. And they have hundreds of volunteers that count all the saguaros in the park. And in 2020, the count was over 2 million, up from 1.9 million in 2010.
1: Yeah, that is a lot of You think saguaros. they counted everyone? No, they did not. They do an estimation. They they stake out areas and they count the saguaros in these areas, and then they estimate the general population. Uh, so they don't literally count everyone by hand.
2: So they have a couple million.
1: Yeah, 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 it's wow. a lot.
2: Now, this is a park that has two distinct districts. And they are, they are kind of different, and they're both pretty cool. Uh, there's the Rincon Mountain District in the east. That's east of the town of Tucson. And then the Tucson Mountain District in the west. Right. And you should see them both.
1: You should definitely see them both. You probably want to spend a day at least in each one. So we'll get to the point of your question, Emily, which was to mention some hikes that we like. And before we talk about those, just a note, you know, you're in Southern Arizona, so you want to make sure that you start your hikes early, 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 both to avoid the heat of the day and also to avoid the crowds because the park and some of these popular trails can get very crowded.
2: So one of the first hikes that we did in the park in our original trip to all the national parks was Wasson Peak. And it's in the West District, mm-hmm. and it was about, um, about seven and a half miles round trip from the King Canyon Trailhead. And it does have a fair amount of elevation, about 1,800 feet of elevation gain. Now, there are other trailheads for this hike. The mileage will vary depending on which trailhead you take. So check the trail map.
1: I loved it. There are some incredible views from the top. And this section of the park, to me, felt more like a wilderness area than the East District did. This hike was kind of rugged and absolutely beautiful.
2: (laughs) And it had a lot more elevation gain than most of the trails in the East District.
1: Right. And when you're over there, you can view some petroglyphs also. Uh, Just north of the Signal Hill Picnic area, there's a site that contains over 200 prehistoric Native American petroglyphs. And that's really cool to see.
2: What about the East District, Karen?
1: You know, the East District is unique in that... It has an elaborate system of connecting trails. If you look at the trail map of this park, they all intersect in one way or another. So the first thing, as we always recommend, you should stop at the Rincon Mountain Visitor Center to get a map of the area and to talk to the rangers about, you know, how far do you want to hike and how much time do you have? Um, And then you can easily find the the trail that's going to be right for you for that day that you're there.
2: And this is close to the town in Tucson. So uh, we were there one time on a weekend and it it gets pretty crowded. The, The locals really love the park. And so parking can be at a premium on the weekends, maybe even during weekdays. But yeah, go early.
1: A couple of trails we'll mention that we've done. The Micah View slash Cactus Forest Loop. It's very easy. It's about two miles, only 70 feet of elevation gain. Basically, you are walking through the forest of Sahuaros, which is what you're going to the park to see.
2: Yeah, it, it is cool uh, being able to hike right up against them. They're interesting to look at from a car as you're driving down the highway, but hiking close to them, they're really impressive.
1: Yeah, and the other thing too that kind of surprised me the first time we saw them is that every single saguaro is different. It's like people, right? No two look exactly the same.
2: They're very different yeah. from each other.
1: Did you know, Matt, they could have up to 50 arms? I did not know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think we've ever seen one with 50 arms, but, but they definitely have a varying degree of arms. Some are turned down, most are turned up, but it's really fun to walk through and see all the different ones.
2: No two alike. Another hike that we like in the East District is the Bridal Wreath Falls Trail. Now, this is about 5.6 miles, 1,000 feet of elevation gain. So there is some elevation gain on the trails over there in the East District. And depending on when you go, the, the falls could be either like a trickle or it could be non-existent.
1: Right. It's a great trail, even if there is no water running through the falls. This one would be considered moderate, I would say. Again, all of these trails, you can add on different loops to these, make them longer, connect them with others. So take a good look at the trail map and then basically just wander through this incredible landscape of Sajoros.
2: So those are a few of our favorite hikes in the park, the the two different districts. But the Tucson area has a lot of other great outdoor recreation.
1: Yeah, that you should definitely check out, Emily. We'll mention a few briefly. One of our favorite places is Sabino Canyon Recreation Area. And this is in Coronado National Forest. There is a fee to get in. It's $8 per vehicle and there are no pets allowed. And there's a great trail in that one.
2: Yeah, it's the Bear Canyon to Seven Falls Trail. We did that. It's about five miles, 720 feet of elevation gain. And that's if you take the tram.
1: Right. This area has a tram that will take you to the trailhead. Now you have to buy a ticket for that. When we did it, we just parked in the general parking lot and we hiked to the trailhead, which adds an extra two miles each way. So then this hike becomes about nine miles round trip. But those extra two miles each way, you're you're just walking along a service road.
2: So it didn't add any difficulty to the hike, just more distance.
1: But anyway, this is a beautiful trail that takes you from the desert up through Bear Canyon to a beautiful set of pools. And the trail follows a stream which you crisscross many times. And it's very, very, very pretty and very popular. I think this is the most popular hike in the Tucson area. Yeah. Also
2: in the Tucson area is Mount Lemon. Now, Mount Lemon is over 9,000 feet high. It's in the Coronado National Forest, and there's uh, roads up there. There's uh, there's civilization up there. And, I mean, you can drive up there in the winter, and there's snow. I mean, yeah. there's snowstorms. And at 9,000 feet, you can drive up there in the summer, and it's going to be cool.
1: There are a few hiking trails. If you look online, we did not hike when we were there. We just drove up for the scenic drive. But you could check out uh, the trails at Mount Lemmon as well. And then the third place we wanted to mention, um, other than the national park, is Catalina State Park. What a great state park.
2: It is. It's got uh, great mountain areas. It's got some uh, fantastic hikes. It has over 5,000 saguaros itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, when we rented an RV a few years ago, we stayed there a couple nights in the RV park.
1: We did. And yeah, we actually and we, loved it. we loved it. Right behind our campsite was this beautiful wilderness area that had a trail running through it and all kinds of cehawaras and we would walk back each night at sunset. You're at the base of the uh, Santa Catalina Mountains right there, so it was absolutely stunning to be there.
2: Yeah, and and the one hike that we really enjoyed when we were there was the Romero Pools hike or a trail about five and a half miles round trip a thousand feet of elevation gain now that trail if I remember right it, it becomes pretty rocky after about the first mile but yes. if you just keep going it takes you to some beautiful pools uh, and some even some small waterfalls
1: yeah that is a great hike to do I would say it's moderately strenuous if I if I'm remembering that correctly. So you should have a great trip down to the Tucson area in in the spring, Emily. It's a popular time to go to Tucson, but do you know who else comes out uh, in this area at, in springtime?
2: Besides all the tourists?
1: Yes. No, I have no idea. <laughs> The Gila monster. Oh, the Gila monsters. They they come out in the spring. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Where
2: are they the rest of the year?
1: They're hibernating. Oh, they're hibernating.
2: Yeah, I've always wanted to see a Gila monster. Now these are they're they're the largest and the only venomous lizard in the United States, and and it can be up to two feet long.
1: They're really big. <laughs> I mean, not that I've seen one, but I've seen photos of them. So here's the thing that worried me on our first visit when I read about the Gila monsters is that. If they bite you, they tend to hang on, and there are only several ways that you can remove them from your body, where they are clenched into your skin, injecting their venom.
2: <laughs> well, Yeah, that's right. I remember when we were there the first time, we actually looked up on the internet, what would happen if you got bit by a Gila monster? and They had several suggestions. And the first one, I like this one, first... Try to pry its mouth open with a stick or other object.
1: Okay, so it's a two foot long lizard. Yeah. It, okay, it's so stuck let's to say it's stuck to my leg, and yeah. you're going to get a stick Wait, in there. Just
2: hold on. Let me find a stick <laughs> while, you, while you're running around screaming with, with a two foot lizard stuck to your leg, Keep, or, or or like a screwdriver. Yeah, it's like something like that. But if that doesn't work,
1: there's another option. Number two.
2: Use a lighter or matches and put heat directly beneath its jaw. It's like, okay, I got I got my lighter now. Wait. Okay, under his jaw. No, that's not his jaw. Put the heat directly beneath its jaw. Okay, right. so we got okay. that going. Then, and
1: here's an even better one. You can immerse the lizard in water until it releases. So, we're gonna, so let's, let's review. hike back. Yeah, we're hiking in the desert Drive now. to
2: a place where we could get enough water <laughs> to completely immerse the lizard.
1: They suggested a bathtub. So yeah, we're, no, we're going go back, back, back to the Hampton Inn.
2: <laughs> we we ordered the early check-in. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're it's not ready. Well, I have a two foot venomous <laughs> lizard on my leg. Would that help speed our room?
1: And the last resort is, and this one is my favorite if none of these other things work, you can simply grab the lizard by the tail and try yanking it off.
2: <laughs> I think I'm going to move that up to number one. I'm- <laughs> Although they, I don't know, it's stuck to your leg. I'm not grabbing that thing.
1: Well, see, they don't recommend it because most likely whatever body part that the teeth have been sunk into is going to come off when you yank the that body.
2: Lizard. The body part's going to come off.
1: <laughs> the tissue, okay, the surrounding tissue, the skin that whatever whatever pa- he's grabbing hold of. Oh,
2: okay, got it. They don't let go. They don't like letting go. So, so Emily, Emily, I'd really like to see a Gila monster.
1: <laughs> no, but seriously. You know, you might have a chance to see one. They are not out looking for people to bite. So it's kind of like the rattlesnakes that you could also potentially <laughs> you know, see yeah. there. If you leave them alone and you are very respectful and keep your distance, they will. Be, they, <laughs> You're respectful. They will leave you alone. If you
2: disrespect it, you're gonna have a lizard <laughs> attached to your leg for the next couple hours.
1: Well, don't try to pet All them. Right. I guess is what we're saying. So. All right. Okay, Emily. Thank you for the question. We hope you have a great week. And let us know. Um, let us know if you see any uh, Gila monsters on yeah, your trip. Yeah. Good,
2: good luck with that. All right. What's our next question, Karen?
1: This one comes from Victoria in Tennessee, and she writes: Quick question. Do you know a website where I can order a dummy can of bear spray so I can practice? I'm leading a ladies group in Glacier National Park in August, but I have never sprayed the bear spray that I carry. I always hike with my husband, and I know he would spray and protect me. These ladies that I hike and walk with locally will be armed with bear spray, but I know them and they will freak if we see a bear. So it's up to me to protect them. And then she adds one note at the end. I do not have any expired bear spray to try like you suggested. So she's, she's wanting to buy a dummy can of bear spray.
2: It's a can of bear spray for dummies <laughs> <laughs> or no, that was a poor attempt at humor. That was like, poor. I, I know.
1: And, and actually, Victoria is very smart to, to be looking into this and right. to be thinking ahead. And she wants to protect her lady friends, which is great.
2: Well, actually, we have an answer to this question because our friend Craig actually found this for us. And they do make a trainer- the idea is exactly what she's trying to do is practice before you go and if you, you're in your backyard and the wind is blowing in your face it's not going to It doesn't have the pepper. It, yeah, it doesn't have the pepper, right? So it it's harmless, but yeah, we do suggest doing this either with a trainer like we're talking about or an expired bear spray.
1: Right. So I did an internet search on Google, and what these are called, they're called inert, I-N-E-R-T, bear spray canisters. So there was one, for example, I found called counter assault. It's basically the exact same can of bear spray that they sell, the real bear spray, but this one does not have the active ingredient. This one costs about $22. But in my Google search, there were lots of other manufacturers that came up as well. So just Google inert bear spray or trainer, and you'll have some options that come up.
2: Yeah. And we did practice with a couple of expired bear sprays in our backyard. And it is a little different than you think. One thing is uh, it has a tendency to spray up. Mm -hmm. And I think they recommend that when you do this, if, if you're actually encountering a bear, That you spray closer to the ground and so you know you have to practice your aim the other thing is it didn't last very long
1: no so you want to be accurate
2: yeah we pulled the trigger and let the thing run out completely and there wasn't a lot of spray in it maybe 15 seconds
1: yeah and i also had to practice releasing the safety clip Uh, that wasn't easy for me to do So I saw a post on uh, Facebook from Yellowstone National Park. It was dated March 5th, and they showed a picture of a grizzly bear. It was the first grizzly spotted in the park that had just come out of the winter hibernation. So they had some suggestions for hikers hiking in bear country, and they said, hike in groups, carry bear spray, and then they put in capital letters and know how to use it. So good for you, Victoria, for wanting to practice before you take your friends into the park. Really, it's something everybody should do. Okay. All right. Thank you for the question, Victoria. That was a really
0: good one.
2: All right, moving on.
1: Okay, our next question comes from Sue in McFarland, Wisconsin. And she wrote, how do you know if you are in hiking shape for a strenuous hike, 10 to 15 miles with elevation changes versus an easy hike, two to five miles with minimal elevation change? And, you know, I think this is a really great question that probably more people need to be considering thinking about asking themselves this question.
2: We pay particular attention to not just the length of the trail, but the elevation change because that's that's a big one. I mean, you can go on a hike that's one mile long and it's a thousand feet elevation gain. I mean, that, that can be harder than a seven mile flat hike. One suggestion we make is to work your way up to your physical condition to do these strenuous hikes. So start with short walks, short hikes, You know, work your way up from there, maybe three to four miles, then five to seven and so on. And I think once you just start doing that, you get a a sense pretty quick as to what your level of physical ability is and then, then you work up from there.
1: There's no way to know if you are ready for a 10 to 15 mile hike until you actually start practicing and you start with some of the easier ones. You know, everyone is different and it differs according to age and physical fitness and things, but it's really smart to start easy and work your way up Work your way up until you feel comfortable. A lot of the search and rescue operations in the parks are because people overcommitted themselves and they overestimated their physical ability. And they set off to do a 10 to 15 mile hike and they got halfway there and they, they didn't have the stamina to get back. The rangers in Zion along the subway hike told us that they have a search and rescue out there almost every single day
2: and the farther you go along the trail the fewer people you're going to see and mm-hmm. so therefore there's fewer people there to help you out if you you get in trouble and so you know that that's something to consider yeah and you know the the weather conditions affect this i mean you can you can be home and doing hikes in 65 degree weather and feel like okay you're you're in great shape to do a 10 mile hike and then you go to the desert and it's 100 degrees that's a very different situation
1: That's right. And the other thing to consider too, we talked about this briefly in our Rocky Mountain National Park episode is pay attention to the elevation of where you're going to be, because that will affect the hike a lot as well. When you're hiking at higher elevations, it's much more difficult than if you're hiking, let's say if you're hiking in the Badlands or someplace that's not at such a high elevation. So you need to pay attention to that as well.
2: So if you have a hard hike scheduled and you aren't really sure your physical condition, it can be as easy as the day before or the couple days before. Do another smaller hike in that same area and see how you feel. Right. If you have a 12-mile hike planned, uh, you know, in two days before you do an eight-mile hike and you're feeling great and you're in kind of that same area, same elevation, climate, then yeah, maybe you're you're going to do just fine as opposed to if you're just whipped after eight miles, then you might reconsider your longer hike.
1: The other thing too is as you practice and you work your way up from some of the easy hikes to the moderate hikes to the strenuous hikes, then you can start figuring out if this is something that you love and you're going to continue and you can start buying more things to carry in your day pack, because if you're only hiking a mile or two on a very popular trail, you don't need to pack the kind of things in your day pack that you would need to pack if you're going on a 10 to 15 miler. So before you make that investment, you know, we'd suggest starting slow, see if you like the hiking, see if it's something you're able to do, and then gradually work your way up and gradually get more things for your day pack that you will need for a 15 miler.
2: Mm. Longer hikes, you you have to be more prepared for the effects of the of physical stress.
1: Happy hiking, Sue! Thanks for the great question.
2: All right, what's our next question, Karen? Right.
1: This question comes from Nate, and he wrote to us that he has two little girls, ages two and five, and here is his question. How often would you hike with your kids, and how crappy was the child caring technology back then compared to today? I just heard on your Rocky Mountain episode, you mentioned parking the kids at camp, and hell yes, that's nice, but I also love seeing them go, woo-woo, that's the biggest mountain I have ever seen.
2: Well, Nate, I'm not sure that backpack carriers had even been invented way back when we had our kids and so when they were little, didn't we just have a piece of wood that we strapped them to like, like a cradle board, you know, that, that we strapped on the back or maybe like a papoose kind of thing in the front, <laughs> in the front. <laughs> It was 19th century technology.
1: I'm sure that back, so this would have been the late 80s and early 90s, I am sure that there were child-carrying packs for the the people taking their kids up the mountains, but that wasn't us. (laughs) And so we can't answer that question specifically, but it does seem like that era was like the dark ages of child rearing because we had stuff like we had a johnny jump up which i think uh-huh. is, is yeah. extremely dangerous we had one of those i don't know what you would call it but it was one of those round things with wheels and they sat in the middle and they scooted their feet and they would oh, race all, all could, over the house
2: yeah, including at, down the stairs right they could go down the <laughs> stairs with that um they could go really fast and then hit the corner of a carpet and flip flip mm-hmm. over oh yeah all sorts of things
1: yeah we had uh back then we had the The bumpers in the cribs, which is apparently a big no no. And our babies, we we were told to have our babies sleep on their stomachs in case they would throw up in the middle of the night. And now, of course, that's been switched around. We did everything wrong. (laughs) It's it's amazing. They're still alive. Our our kids
2: were just (laughs) glad to be alive. So uh, they didn't really care if we were on hikes. But in all seriousness, though, I think it's great that people are taking their kids into the park. Just know that. I mean, it, it does make the, the hike a lot more difficult. And uh, we see a lot of parents stopped on the trail. And mm-hmm. so if you have that kind of patience, then yeah, it's, it's, it's great.
1: Sure. And no one knows better than the parents what kind of snacks you would need to bring for the child and what their tolerance level is. So good for you for taking your girls out. I think it's great. Back then, again, remember, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have social media. So we did not know what we were missing. We didn't see pictures of these amazing places and and pictures of young parents hiking with their kids. So we missed all that. Again, living in Kansas, I don't know if we would have done much of that anyway, but I do think it's a great thing that parents are taking their kids with them when they can.
2: Yeah. So I don't know if we answered the
1: question or not,
2: (laughs) but there you go. We
1: don't know how crappy the technology was.
2: Thank you for the question.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Nate. And happy hiking with your little girls.
2: Anything else in the mailbag, Karen, this week? Yes,
1: we have one last one. This is an itinerary that Lisa sent us. Lisa lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. She says, we are a family of four. We have visited all the Utah National Parks, and we usually travel to the Moab area a couple times a year. We are planning to travel to an area new to us over our kids' spring break week. We're heading to Arches on April 19th. Yes, we have reservations then staying overnight in Monticello on April 19th through the 21st. So so these are her questions. On April 20th, we will explore the Needles District of Canyonlands. Any suggestions? What do you recommend we do that day before heading to a cabin at The View in Monument Valley that evening? I was thinking about exploring Bears Ears, perhaps. Do you have recommendations? And then she adds, which this is very important, Our boys are eight-year-old twins, and my 78-year-old mother will also be traveling with us. They are all good for up to a four- to five-mile hike. We have some suggestions, Lisa.
2: Yeah, so there's lots of questions in there, so Mm -hmm. we'll take them one at a time. Yeah. So in the Needles District of Canyonlands, any suggestions?
1: Our favorite hike, and we have talked about this on many episodes, is the Chesler Park hike from Elephant Hill Trailhead. Now, here's the thing, and this is very important. Since you mentioned you only want to hike four to five miles, you could get to the viewpoint at Chesler Park, which is about five miles round trip but just don't add on the whole joint trail loop part of that hike because it will add on another six miles to that hike.
2: Yes, just going to the overview of Chesler Park, that would be a great hike.
1: It's fantastic, and your kids will love it. There's this one, it's not really a slot canyon, it's this crack that you walk through. These two huge long boulders on both sides, that's really fun. And You'll have some incredible views of the needles on this hike. It's absolutely beautiful.
2: And of course, what we're talking about here is this hike would be from the Elephant Hill trailhead. And the reason I point that out is you can get to Chesler Park from other trailheads, but those trails are longer. Yes. Over by the campground, Mm -hmm. you could park by the campground and hike to Chesler Park, but that adds some more distance and some difficulty.
1: It does. If people who are listening want a longer hike, longer than five miles, do the entire Chesler Park joint trail loop hike. It's about 11 miles and it's actually very strenuous. By the time we get back to the truck from that hike, we are completely wiped out. But it's amazing. It's one of our absolute favorite hikes.
2: Also, on your way to the Needles District, you'll be on Highway 211, and before you enter the park, you'll come to a place called Newspaper Rock State Historic Monument, which is definitely worth a stop. It's a rock panel It's carved with uh, one of the largest known collections of petroglyphs.
1: It has over 650 rock designs. We stop there every time we go to the Needles, and we take the same photos over and over again. Uh, But it's a really quick stop. It's right by the road with a pretty big parking lot. Okay, so moving on to your next question. You have a free day when you're staying in Monticello, and you had mentioned Bear's Ears. We have the perfect hike for you and your family, so we would recommend that you go to Natural Bridges National Monument. It's about an hour's drive from Monticello, and you drive on Highway 95 west through a section of Bears Ears National Monument.
2: Yeah, that's a cool uh, national park site, a national monument there. It's got three pretty incredible natural bridges, and there is a loop hike you kind of go down into the canyon. I think that is that the white canyon there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a loop hike that goes past two of them. It's the Sapapu uh, Kachina Loop. It's like 5.7 miles 843 feet elevation change.
1: Yes, we loved that hike. So what you do is you park at the Kachina Overlook, and that's where you start, and you hike down into the canyon, and then you come back up at the Sipapu Overlook, and then you hike back through the Mesa Top, back to your car. When you're down in the canyon, the trail does continue all the way to the third natural bridge, which is Oachomo, but that makes it a 12-mile hike, and that might be more than you want. So come back up at Sipapu, and that's 5.7 miles. It should be perfect for you.
2: Yeah, it's a really fun trail because to get down into the canyon, you have to descend a couple of short ladders, and there are some footholds carved into the rocks.
1: It was very fun. There was some scrambling, but nothing frightening, at least not in my mind. I thought it was just sort of on the fun level.
2: Yeah, the ladders there, it wasn't like treacherous, but you couldn't do the hike if you didn't have those ladders.
1: Yeah, So not only is it a fun hike, but you hike down, you're hiking through this canyon, you're following the stream of water, and there are all kinds of trees down there, and you're hiking under these natural bridges. It's a beautiful hike. Not a lot of people do this hike or make it out to natural bridges. So when we were there, I think we saw like three other people.
2: Yeah. Now, if you're there at Natural Bridges National Monument, then that's only about a 90-minute drive to Monument Valley. And then if you're going to do that on your free day, you'll drive Highway 261 south down to Mexican Hat, Utah. And you will, on that drive, you will go down Mokey Dugway, (laughs) which is just on the edge of Valley of the God's.
1: Yeah, we've talked about Mokey Dugway in a couple episodes, a very fun, very steep little drive down, um, basically a cliff face, no guardrails.
2: But it's safe when the weather is good, as long as the road's dry and you're paying attention.
1: And then if you have the time in your day before you get to Monument Valley, you're going to go right by the turnoff to Gooseneck State Park. And that is definitely worth a stop. It does not take very long. The parking lot is right at the Overlook. But basically, it's a double Gooseneck. So it's very cool to see. I think it costs $5 to get in. but Right.
2: And you're not going to be there very long because there's not a lot to do there unless you're going to uh, camp. Yeah, that's a must-see. You're looking down 1,000 feet at the San Juan River. And it twists and it turns. I mean, it's really pretty cool. It's, it's actually a meandering river or a gooseneck. And there are two of them.
1: So Lisa sent her entire itinerary day by day, which was very helpful, and it's also fun for us to look at. And so I noticed that, Lisa, you put on your last day of your trip, you will be driving from Monument Valley back to Salt Lake City with some time to stop somewhere and sightseeing. So I googled the possible routes you could take back to Salt Lake City, and the one we'd suggest is to retrace your route back up to Natural Bridges and then continue west on Highway 95 all the way to Hanksville. That is one of our favorite drives. It's absolutely beautiful. It
2: is a beautiful drive, and I think it's a scenic byway. And that Highway 95 west of Natural Bridges is, I just think it's spectacular. It's—it's it's, There's nothing necessarily in, in particular there that you would stop and do. But just it's a beautiful landscape to drive through. And you you drive right through the very northern part of Lake Powell and a little tiny piece of uh, Glen Canyon National Recreation Area before you kind of then head north to Hanksville.
1: Yeah, you cross over a cool bridge of the Colorado River just as it's entering Lake Powell. Our point of suggesting this isn't just for the scenery, which is incredible, but if you haven't been to Goblin Valley State Park, that is a very fun state park to stop and check out. When you get to Hanksville, you just take Highway 24 up to Goblin Valley. It's not much further past Hanksville.
2: It's a, a spectacular little park, unusual landscape. Probably not going to see this really any anywhere else. I mean, to the, to the extent these goblins are rock formations that occur right there by the San Rafael Swell. And you can walk amongst them. Uh, it's it's a big enough park that you can kind of go out there and get lost. Mm-hmm. When you're standing in the parking lot overlooking the area where there's the goblins, they don't look very big. But once you like hike down in them, they're a lot bigger than they look from the parking lot. And it's just fun to hike in and amongst the the goblins.
1: It is. And, you know, even if you just had one hour, you could see a lot because you're parking basically right next to them. This is not a long hike at all. I mean, you can just wander for as long as you want to wander. But it's great for kids. It's great for adults. So if you haven't been there, we would absolutely recommend it. If you have been there, there's another cool hike that's very close to Goblin Valley. It's a slot canyon called Little Wild Horse canyon
2: yeah and that's very close by beautiful slot canyon to hike through uh just Mm -hmm. don't go in it when there's rain in the forecast or Mm -hmm. imminent
1: right if you're interested in that you could google that and get all the details about that
2: all right a lot of great questions for this mailbag edition
1: yes thank you all for the great questions if you have a mailbag question for us please send that to matt and karen smith at gmail.com
2: And the more information you can provide in your questions, like Lisa did, the easier it is for us to give, you know, specific suggestions based on your abilities or or your particular itinerary. And we get a lot of questions about hiking trails, but often we don't know who is hiking and their physical ability. So the more details, the better we can give you specific suggestions.
1: Exactly. So send this to us. We love to get mail. And we'll be back with more episodes in April, unless we decide to stay at Disneyland.
2: But don't click off just yet. There's more coming after the music.
1: We get a lot of requests to do episodes about specific national parks, but we probably won't be covering all 63 national parks. However, we do have a suggestion as to where you can go for more information about the national parks that we haven't covered in an episode.
2: Yeah, read our books. Our first book, Dear Bob and Sue, it covers our visits to 59 of the 63 national parks. And that's how many were in existence when we did that first journey to the parks. And, and our trips to White Sands, which was a national monument at the time, but now it's a national park, is covered in Dear Bob and Sue Season 2.
1: Yes, in Season 2, we wrote about our New Mexico Parks trip, from Bandelier National Monument all the way down to Carlsbad Caverns for the Bat Flight program, and an exciting cave tour in the dark. Also in Season 2, you can read about all the great public lands to explore around Las Vegas, plus amazing places in Arizona like Horseshoe Bend and Antelope Canyon. We tell the story of our first attempt at camping in Olympic National Park and how we worked our way up to backpacking in North Cascades National Park. We wrote about a camping trip in Glacier National Park, a separate camping trip in Kings Canyon National Park, and then our multi-day journey on the Alaska Marine Highway Ferry all the way up the Inside Passage to Skagway.
2: But wait, wait, Karen. There's more.
1: (laughs) Much more. Much more.
2: (laughs) Then in Dear Bob and Sue Season 3, it covers our adventures and misadventures as we rented an RV for the first time in Southern Arizona, followed by our story of renting a teardrop trailer, which we used to camp in Joshua Tree and Death Valley. Then we explored more public lands in Utah, including Bears Ears and Escalante, which is the Grand Staircase National Monument. And we also became official rock hounds because we got a permit at the BLM office and we searched for petrified wood outside Zion National Park. And then we wrote about our reunion with Bob and Sue in Rocky Mountain National Park, our journey to Alaska to backpack the 33 mile historic Chilkoot Trail, and finally, our favorite road trip of all time the Great American Bison Tour. This is a trip that took us through North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming and Montana, with stops at all the public lands where bison roam.
1: Phew. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's, a lot. I'm tired just thinking about all that. But do not forget about Dory's Ho. This book is a complete look at our first story trip down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. We also included stories about our training hike to the remote and stunningly beautiful Havasu Falls in the Grand Canyon and stops we made at Yellowstone, Grand Teton, and Arches National Parks on our way down to the Grand Canyon.
2: So if you're interested in these four books, you can find all of them on Amazon.com.
1: That's right. And maybe you'll get some ideas for some incredible adventures that you can take yourself. (laughs)